So after I graduated undergrad, I was uh, finishing up an internship at Church of God Ministries. It was, like in, it was in our headquarters, our movement's headquarters. I had, uh, was on the tail end of an internship with the guy who was in charge of basically the youth ministries across the nation. And we, what we did is we set up big conventions. Some of you have heard of IYC, where uh, about 6,000 young people would come to, and uh, it was in different locations. The one that we did was in San Antonio. And uh, they would worship God and have uh, a lot of conferences and so forth. And it was a great experience and uh, got me a lot of connections and so forth, but I really didn't have anything lined up after uh, my internship. I just graduated undergrad, I had taken the internship, and I knew kind of what I wanted to do. I felt called to go into ministry. Uh, I wanted to do youth ministry, but I didn't have any jobs lined up, and so I was starting to worry a little bit. One of the reasons I didn't is because one of my kind of mentors uh, was a pastor, a youth minister, and he told me the way that he uh, found jobs was just, he just waited on calls for the Lord. And he, he, I asked him, so, so did you ever apply for anything? He said, no. I said, okay. His, he's got the gift of faith, by the way. And so I, I was like, okay, well, I'll do that. Why not? Uh, and so I kept waiting for these calls to come in, and believe it or not, they didn't just come pouring in. Uh, do at least one of the two things, but I wanted to do two things. I, I wanted to be uh, a youth minister. I wanted to go into youth ministry, and I really felt like uh, I lacked some of the knowledge I needed uh, to do it as well as I would like, and so I wanted to work on my master's degree as well. And so not only did I need calls to come in so I could fulfill my call, but I needed a specific type of call to come in. I needed a, a call to come in that would say, hey, Josh, we want you to come here and be our youth minister. And then I would need them to say, okay, it was okay for me if I were going to be the youth minister to also work on my master's degree. So I needed that kind of call. Well, eventually one came in from Birmingham, Alabama, a kind of a small church down there. It was a friend's father uh, called me, was the pastor, and said, Josh, we'd like you to come and uh, consider being our youth minister. And so I, I flew down there. And I spent a week kind of candidating and meeting everybody and so forth. And, and I left and I told them, you said, you know what, um, I'll come. I'll, I'll be the youth minister here. There's a seminary right up the street that the, uh, the, the, the dean of the seminary from the undergrad that I went to told me was a really good seminary. And he said, Josh, if you go to, happen to go to Birmingham, you should go to this seminary and so forth. So I just uh, assumed, okay, I'll go to that seminary if I move down there. Well, I'm sitting at home, and um, I'm starting to prepare uh, to go down there. I'm actually, I can remember exactly how everything was when this happened. I'm sitting at our kind of bar area in our kitchen talking to my mom about everything, and she's kind of lamenting that I'm going to move eight hours away to a city that I've never, I've only been to once, and I don't know anybody in, and um, it's going to be moving even further away from them and so forth, and I get a call. It's from a church in Indianapolis. Uh, and it was a church that I had really wanted to serve at. Uh, it was a, the, probably the largest church we got church in Indianapolis. I'd been there a number of times, and I just neglected to apply at it because I was told that, well, one, I was just waiting for calls, but I was also told that a friend of mine who was a couple years older than me that I, graduated, that I went to school with at Anderson University had gotten the youth ministry position. Well, the head of the search committee called me. She said, hey, Josh, this is Ann. Um, how are you doing? Good. She said, uh, are you serving anywhere yet? And I said, no. She's like, we would like you to apply for, the, for our youth ministry position and here in Indianapolis. 
And I'm like, well, wait a second. I thought Andrew was your youth minister. And she said, well, no, he's our missions minister. I said, oh. Um, and she said, well, would you like to apply? We would like you to apply. And I said, well, I can't. And she says, oh, why not? And I said, I just told the church down in Birmingham that I would be coming in a couple weeks. And she goes, well, if you change your mind, call us. That was a really difficult decision for me to make. I ended up telling my mom, she said, who was that? And I said, it was a church from Indianapolis, which is two hours away from where I grew up instead of eight. And she's like, well, you need to call them back and tell them that you will apply there. <laughs> and I said, I can't. I can't go back on my word. And I was just ate up about it. Two of my roommates uh, were, going to, were going to med school there at the University of Indiana in Indianapolis. Uh, and so I would have had friends there. I would have been, like, a, a lot of my friends were living in that area because that's the area I went to undergrad in. And so I, I just worried about that. I moved down to Birmingham. And the whole time you're just second-guessing yourself with decisions like that. You know, is, is this God's church down in Birmingham to go to that seminary? I stayed there long enough to meet my wife. Did I marry the wrong person? Right? <laughs> Have the wrong kids? <laughs> Buy the wrong dog? I would never tell my dog that. Does God have a specific plan for your life? Like, and what's that look like? How does, that, how does God's will work? If you have your notes um, with you, they're in your worship folder there. You can follow them along with them if you want. You don't need to. Uh, but we, we started to talk about God's will in, in two ways. I'm going to give you a third this week. I should have given you a third last week, but I'm going to give you the third this week. So when we talk about God's will, uh, we can talk about it or think about it in three ways. I only gave you two last week. But the first is God's will of decree. God's will of decree. Now, I, I believe that God is sovereign because the Bible basically describes God as sovereign. He, when he declares something to be so, it'll, it'll be so. What God has ordained will happen. And so what God wants to happen will happen. And so there's God's will of decree, but there's also God's will of desire. And so this is what God commands and what ought to be. And so if the first one is God's sovereignty, the second one is basically talking about your free will. And how those two things exist, I'll just tell you this over and over again, how those two things exist together is a mystery. Um, there are things even in our world, by the way, that seem to contradict each other, um, but are equally true and take place. And so one is God's will and his responsibility. The other is the, sovereignty and his responsibility. The other is our free will and our responsibility. And both of those exist. And then there's a third way to think about God's will, and it's, it's this. It's God's will of direction. It's God's will of direction. God's, God's will of direction can be defined like this. God's individual and specific plan for your life at any given moment. God's specific plan for your life at any given moment. And so these are questions like, what should I do this fall? Right? What job should I get? Should I go to this college? Should I go to that college? Should I get married to this person? Should I get married to that person? Should I take all those sorts of just kind of everyday questions that we are trying to ask and search out of, uh, or just search out. So how do we think about God's will direction, or how should we think? Well, first thing you need to know is simply this, is that God does have a plan for your life, right? And he, and he is working his plan for the good of those who love him. And so God's got a plan for, for your life. But the second thing that you need to know is that you shouldn't spend a whole lot of time trying to figure it out, right? You should spend very little time trying to figure out God's will and God's plan for your life. 
many of us treat God's will of direction in a very unhealthy way. We treat it kind of like a kind of like a corn maze. Like our life. So if we go this way, we're going to get lost, and then we have to, it's going to take us an hour to kind of get back on track and figure out where God really wants us to do or where he wants us to go, and it makes our choices very difficult, and sometimes we think we're doomed to failure when we're stuck on trying to figure out God's will of direction all the time. In Kevin DeYoung's book, Just Do Something, he says this, and I think it's mostly true. He says, trusting in God's will of decree is good, Right? Trusting in God's sovereignty is good. Following his will of desire is obedient. And waiting for God's will of direction is a mess. Now, there are times right, where I think God can speak to us and give us direction on some of those small things. But if you're the type of person who is always waiting for God's will of direction on every little decision that you are trying to make, I do think your life will get messy for a number of reasons. I'll give you three. First is it creates passive people. If you're always trying to figure out and hear from God, what do I do with this decision, right? It can, it can freeze you up. The second is it makes you anxious. The Bible talks about having peace all the time. Why can we have peace? Why? Because we have the grace of God in our lives. If we make a bad decision, God can forgive us. He can bring about redemption in it. And sometimes we just need to make those decisions and move forward. And so it can make us anxious. And third is if you are a person who is constantly waiting on God's will direction or always believing that God is going to give you a specific direction to go all the time. What I've seen people do who do this, and this is not everybody, but what they do then is they blame God for the decisions that they make. I see this in ministry. We see pastors have, have this vision for their ministry or have an idea of what they think God is going to do through their ministry when he doesn't do exactly what they thought he was going to do. Guess who gets blamed for it not happening, right? God does. And so, why do we search for God's will direction, though? Um, to, to kind of grasp God's will and the idea of God's will of direction, I think we need to try to take a look at our motives here uh, to get a better idea of kind of what to do with them. Uh, I'm going to give you four reasons here. The first reason we often are searching out of God's will, and the reason I'm giving you these is actually because you asked for the sermon series. You asked for me to speak into God's will, and so I'm, I'm kind of reading into maybe the reason that you asked this, and we're going to kind of search our hearts and minds here for a second. The first is because you want to please God. That's why you want to know what God's will is. That's why you want me to speak in to understanding God's will is that some of you genuinely want to please God, and so you want to know God's will. When I was going into ministry and and trying to figure out what church to go to or where to move to, what city to be in, what seminary to go to, and so forth, I, I really do think I wanted to please and I wanted to serve God. But the truth is, is that it'll make you miserable if with every decision that you are making, if you are hoping that God will speak into the type of decisions that God doesn't directly always speak into, like what city to move to or what job to take or so forth, right? It can drive you crazy and it can drive you nuts and it can make you anxious. God will tell us when we get to those places, not necessarily where always to go, but how to act and how to behave and what to do once we're in those places, but not always where to go or what to to do um, outside of what the Bible speaks into. And so this is one of the only times I'll ever tell you this. Uh, but I just want to tell you this, is don't over-spiritualize God's will sometimes. Because we, we can do that. We can do that. Uh, so the first is I want to please God. The second is this, is that you're timid. Right? Some of us want to know God's will because we have decisions that we really don't want to make. Right? And so we're scared. 
1 Thessalonians 5.14 says, Brothers and sisters, we urge you to warn those who are lazy, encourage those who are timid, take care of those who are weak, and be patient with everyone. So if you're overly cautious, if you have trouble making decisions, um, if uh, you're kind of paralyzed often by indecision and so forth, uh, and you're often like, well, I just need God to speak into this, I need God to give me direction here, uh, you might just lack courage. It, it, it might not be that you really want to do God's will. You might just lack courage. Um, if your prayers sound like this, Lord, tell me, <laughs> to, tell me what to do so nothing bad will happen to me, and I won't have to face the danger or unknown that might come my way. If, if your prayers sound like that, you might fall into this timid area. Now, it's God's will for you to act wisely. Right? We, there's wisdom literature all throughout the Bible. So you're not supposed to just jump in and do a bunch of stupid stuff all the time. Right? Uh, this is why last week was important, too. We talked about the importance of knowing the scriptures when it comes to God's will. While at the same time, God doesn't intend for you to act cowardly in decision-making. And passivity can be, a, like, it can plague Christians. We talked about that a second ago. And James, Jesus' brother, says this, though, to us. He says, faith without works is dead. And so at some point, right, there are decisions that you are just going to have to make by faith. You're going to have to step out on faith knowing that God really hasn't spoken into this situation. But I am going to do this trusting that God is going to be with me and go with me. And he's going to give me direction along the way as I just obey him. Part of being a Christian is actually risking your life for God's sake. It's stepping out on faith, and it's walking in faith. Some of you know the story of Esther. Some of you know it very well. Some of you don't, and that's fine. What happens in the book of Esther is Esther is a young Jewish lady, and she becomes the queen of Persia. And what happens while she is queen, a man named Haman, who hates the Jews, goes to the king, and he basically uh, um, kind of tricks him or encourages him to institute a, uh, a law where basically all the Jews will then be slaughtered and killed. And so Mordecai, who is Esther's uncle, comes to Esther and he says, Esther, you have to do something. You, do you realize all of your people are, are, are about to be killed? They're about to be slaughtered. They're about to be wiped out of this kingdom. And what Esther says to Mordecai, she says, I, I can't go to the king. I can't just walk into his chamber and tell him you can't do this. And Mordecai, she says, she says, I'll die if I do that. That's what, that's what Esther tells Mordecai. And what Mordecai tells Esther, and this is my paraphrase, I'm going to read um, Esther's response here. But Mordecai tells Esther, he says, God has made you queen for this very reason. The reason that you ascended to be the queen, the reason that you were in this position to begin with, is so that you could speak into the king's decision. And so here's what Esther does. This is her immediate response here. And this is in your notes. It's Esther 4, verses 15 and 16. Esther then sent this reply to Mordecai. Go and gather together all of the Jews of Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days or nights. My maids and I will do the same. Then, though it is even against the law, do you catch that? I will go see the king. If I must die, I must die. And so Esther's response is fairly, fairly quick. She says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to call a, a fast, and we're all going to pray, but here's what I'm going to do at the end of this. I'm going to walk to the king, and I'm going to tell him what he needs to do and what is going on, and if he kills me, I will die for the sake of doing what is right. 
because that is what I know is right, and that is what I know God has called me to do, although God hasn't even spoken into this, this situation directly. She just knows it's the right thing to do, and she's, so she's going to do it no matter what her, it cost her. With little thought and a great amount of risk, she makes the choice. So for some of you, this might be right, just trusting the Scriptures, trusting to obey even when it's not popular, it might be some of you are in growth groups and so, or some of you are thinking about starting a growth group. It, it, it might be just being real with the people in that group, telling them how you really feel, confessing your sin to one another, allowing them to speak into your lives, opening up to them. Some of you, it might mean taking that job. Some of you might mean making a move, maybe moving out of your parents' house. Some of you, it might be starting that business that you've always wanted to start. Maybe for some of you, it's taking days off from your business. Maybe it's, you want to ask that girl out. You want to ask, don't ask the guy out, make him ask you out. <laughs> Maybe it's joining a growth group. It's being generous. Maybe God's called you into ministry, right? Uh, this, I, I told you this kind of a little bit. But before I felt called into ministry, I wanted to be a doctor. I was in and out of the sports med doctors a lot, and so I thought, oh, that'd be a cool thing. And so when I went to Anderson, my three roommates were all doctors. They're all doctors now. <laughs> right? Maybe, maybe, maybe God's calling you to something. Right? But if you're timid, right, it's a boring life, too. Right? Think about it. God has called you to some adventure, so don't be timid. Think about what your life would be like if you really trusted God. So you can do that. So third, third reason we want to know God's will is this. You want perfect fulfillment. You just, you just want everything to be right. You want it to be perfect. You want your life to be kind of heaven on earth. You want it to be easy. But the truth is, if you are just pursuing like happiness, if you're just pursuing pleasure, it'll be really hard to find. We call this the pleasure paradox. I've talked to you all about this before. If that is the goal of your life, you will unlikely, it's unlikely that you will achieve it if that's your pursuit. And as a Christian, um, we are described in, 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 in a very different way. We're not described as people who are always happy or who are always filled. Yes, we have the joy of the Lord. But the Bible describes us as pilgrims. It describes us as strangers and aliens, uh, people whose this, this, this world is just not our home. We're going to feel uncomfortable at times. It's times it's going to be diff difficult. There are going to be real struggles. There are going to be times where we actually put our fleshly desires behind us so that we could do what God desires from us. First Peter says this. It says, Dear friends, I warn you, as temporary residents and foreigners, keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. If fulfillment is the goal of your life, you are going to come up short of that. I really encourage you, instead of making fulfillment the goal of your life and hoping that God will fulfill your life if you just follow him kind of like a genie would, right? If, God, if I obey you here, will you give me this? If I obey you here, will you give me this? If I ask you this, will you always give me this? Instead, make faithfulness the goal of your life, and I believe that you will have more joy in your life than you currently have. If you, if you, just, if you make faithful, faithful, faithfulness to God the goal of your life, you will have more joy. If you just begin there, start there, go to faithfulness to your family, faithfulness to your community, faithfulness to your country, all of those sorts of things, right? you will have more joy because you will have more meaning in your life. But if faithfulness is the goal, you will really struggle with this. 
uh, really, I think the past two generations are the first probably two generations to make faithfulness the goal of their life. Think about it for a second. Right? I won't blame the baby boomers, and then I will blame my generation, right? Uh, for, at some point, like, like, at some point, excuse me, at some point, uh, f- being fulfilled became the goal of our lives. And I think people are less fulfilled now probably than they've ever been. And you can do a little experiment. Uh, go and ask your grandfather or great-grandfather if they were fulfilled in their job. I, I, and I think, I think this is how they would answer. Like, what do you mean? Right? I, I, my job helped provide for my family. It helped put a roof over my head. It helped make sure that there was food on the table. It helped make sure I could care for other people and take care of other people. My guess is that fulfillment was not their goal, but it has become our goal, and we are very unfulfilled in our lives right now. C.S. Lewis said this, he said, aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in, aim at earth and you will get neither. Good thing to remember. Number four, the fourth reason that we want to know God's will is that we have too many choices. This is a first world problem, and this is, again, our generation's problem. You're probably going to be a farmer. If you grew up in a small town and so forth, you're going to marry the only girl that would talk to you, right? Uh, now we just, we have, we have just so many choices. Our choices are unlimited. Uh, my son's about ready to start school. And so just, I mean, just think about our school choice right now. I can send my kid to the local school. I could send him to a school that we could open enroll in. I could send him to the private school um, or I could homeschool him. What do we do? Right? Either way, he's going to be a mess, right? So what, what do we do? Where do you get your clothes at? Do you go to the department store? Do you go to the mall that's shutting down? Do you buy them online? How do you know if you fit, if, they, if you buy them online? What box of cereal do you, do you buy the generic? Do you, do you buy the, 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 the right brand? What's that? Yeah, you know, peanut butter, generic or Jiffy? Always Jiffy, right? You, there's, what college? Do you go to college? Do you go to the, do you go to the state school? Do you go to the community college? Should you even go to college and rack up a bunch of debt? Should you just go to the tech school? Should you do an internship instead, an apprenticeship? Well, there, there are a lot of choices, and we are becoming a very anxious society and so forth, and we're wondering what to do. And sometimes if we are just depending on God's will of direction, it's not really helping us right now. And we are struggling just to decide anything at all because one of the reasons, I think, is just because what decisions do, and this is what you need to know about decisions, is decisions actually cut off other decisions. And you just need to be okay with that. The Latin actually for decide is to cut off. And so if you go to this college, you can't go to that college. If you marry this person, you can't marry that person. This is the way the world works. And we need to be okay with that because it changes our future, the decisions that we make. The friends that we have might mean we can't always hang out with these friends and so forth. And so there are decisions to make, and we have so many choices, and it's making us anxious. So how should we view God's will for our lives? Well, let's take a look, and we're going to meditate on this and look at a few more scriptures here um, before we end. This is Matthew 6, 25 through 34, and this is from the Sermon on the Mount, and this is Jesus talking. He says, Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. It is not, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather in barns, and yet... Your heavenly Father feeds them. You are, not more, are you not more valued than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? And why are you anxious about clothing? 
Consider the lilies of the field and how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious. What shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after God, or the unbelievers seek after God and all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient is for the day is its own trouble. So what Jesus basically tells us here is do not worry about your future. It doesn't add a single day to your life. And he says those of us who lack worry or, or who worry a lot, and right there are medical reasons to worry a lot, and I, I get that. And uh, I'm not putting any of that aside or down. But Jesus says and worry and wondering what to do with our future right, is not to know the future, but is to have more faith. It's to have more faith. According to Jesus, it's not God's will to tell us what's going to happen tomorrow, but to trust him with today. Yesterday at the funeral, we were reminded in the Bible over and over again, one of the things that we're told, right, is to trust the Lord day by day or to number our days it's really interesting because, as Pastor John pointed out yesterday, uh, we often number our years. So we're thinking all of the time about the future, but it's, focus on today. What does God have for me today? A lot of this is centered around verse 33. It says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And so four ways that we do this. I'm going to move through this quickly. It's first, all right? first way we're going to seek God in his righteousness. We know that this is God's will here. The first thing we can know that is God's will is real simple. It's to live holy and set apart lives. First Thessalonians 4.3 says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. Sanctification is a big word for being set apart and looking like God. It's growing in holiness, otherness. It's okay to be different from other people. It's okay to live differently. It's okay to believe differently and so forth. It's to grow in holiness. Emily grew up with a pastor. He preached on holiness every weekend. I love Emily. Sometimes she'll call her friend uh, who was at their home church growing up. She said, so what does so-and-so preach about today? And she goes, well, holiness. We need to be more holy. (laughs) He's like, oh, okay, great, right? He's preaching God's will. That's a good thing. I mean, sometimes you need to hear something else. But what God wants for you is to grow into your identity as a child of God. He wants you to look like him. He wants your character to be molded into his character. And so no matter which house you buy or what city you move to or what job you take, what God really wants from everywhere, everything you do and everywhere you go, what he wants for that is for that to belong to the Lord, for that person you marry to belong to the Lord, and for God to use that person to mold, not to make you happy, by the way, right, but to mold you into the type of person that God wants you to be. Uh, So this is God, that is God's will for your life, to be holy and to be set apart, to become like him in that way. The second is to always rejoice, pray, and give thanks. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18 says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, yeah, sorry. So that's a, I had to stop there and pause because I used to say seizing, and one of my youth members uh, corrected me there. There's a difference between ceasing and seizing. Um, so now I'm like self-conscious about it. So yeah, it's a good thing to pray without seizing too. But 
So rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Well, we live in a real thankless society. Right? And sometimes Christians are, are thankless, right? We, we, we're not very grateful people. And can I be honest with you? Like, all the Christian faith teaches something that's very, very simple, right, in their theology. Is, and a lot of people don't like it, but it's just what, what the Christian faith teaches, is that we actually deserve hell, right? Like, we deserve divine punishment. Uh, and, but what we get, we deserve, we get what God gives us, which is grace, love, forgiveness, redemption, and so forth through Jesus. And by the way, we don't earn, we don't, that's a part, part of grace, it's unmerited love. Like we don't earn it. And what we should believe is not only do we get that salvation, but right, everything that good hap- that happens in our life is grace. It's from God. Right? We, we, we should assume that bad things are just going to happen. Because we make bad decisions. Sin is infected in the world and so forth. So all the good things that happen, like we should give thanks for. Like Christians, because they actually start at that point where we believe like things shouldn't be right in the world because of sin and brokenness and so forth. But yet we still get to experience goodness in this. We should be the most thankful people out of everybody. Like that's God's will for you is to be grateful and to be thankful. Just go back again a couple generations. Think about this. Like, Ask your grandparents this, like, just, or think of it. You don't have to ask it. Just think about it. Do you have, are, are you better off just materially than your grandparents or great-grandparents? Think about it. Do you complain more? Right? Your great-grandparents probably didn't even have indoor plumbing. So try this. Next time you go to the bathroom, <laughs> right, thank God be easy to remember. Give thanks. Always. Third, bear fruit and to know God better. Uh, Colossians 1.9 says, and 1.9-10, so we have not stopped praying for you since we have heard about you. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. Then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord. And your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while, you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. God wants you to grow in spiritual wisdom and knowledge of him. As you do, you, what it will look like is you will obey the Lord more and more. The, the, when you decide to follow the Lord, and as you grow into the knowledge of the Lord, you will begin to bear fruit for the Lord because it's actually what you will desire to do. I would tell people all the time, the most miserable, most miserable people in the world are Christians who are not following the Lord because they know the Lord, but they're not doing as the Lord wants them to do. But the most joyful Christians are those who have given their lives to the Lord, they know the Lord, and they're following the Lord. And so they, grow, they bear fruit, and they're growing in their relationship with God. And that is God's will for you. God's will for you to do that. Fourth and finally, to be filled with the Holy Spirit is God's will for you. Ephesians 5.17 says, do not act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine, because that will ruin your life. So I want you to see how Paul is teeing this up here. He's saying people who are going to be filled with the Holy Spirit, right? Sometimes we think Holy Spirit people like are crazy, right? Um, They're mindless people. 
But what he is saying is, no, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, you, you, need, you need a sharp mind, and you need your mind to be sharp here. And so he's saying, be careful about how far you go with certain substances or what you put in your body. It's because he says, instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then he said, what does this look like? He says, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves and making music to the Lord in your heart, to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So God wants you to be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's God's will for you, to have a clear heart and a clear head that is given to God, that is willing to sing praises to him. And it is characterized, by the way, here by corporate worship. One of the reasons that we come together here and we worship the Lord is because it's God's will. Do you know God's church is his will? Singing together is God's will. Hearing testimonies about what God is doing in people's lives so that you will be encouraged and so that the Holy Spirit, what the Holy Spirit is doing in somebody else's life might be shared with you is God's will. And so this morning, that's simply how we're going to end this message. We are going to carry out God's will. I'm going to pray, and we're going to sing. And so if you would, stand with me. I'm going to pray as I end this message together, and we're going to sing one more song as we conclude this morning. Father, we come to you this morning and we are thankful that you brought us here. We believe that it is your will that we were here. I know, Father, that you have both decreed for us to be here and we all all have chosen to be here. And I pray this morning that we are all filled with your Holy Spirit. For some, that may mean that we simply give up, give up maybe trying to uh, hear a direct word from you on whether or not we should take this job or move to this place or do that and just step out on faith because we, it seems like the right thing to do and trust that you will go with us in that moment. I pray, Father, that you give somebody courage here this morning that needs courage, that they'll step out of the t- timidity in their own life And they'll trust you by faith and to walk in faithfulness and the new thing that you are giving them to do. I pray, Father, that for those of us who are seeking your will just because we want to be fulfilled and we want to be happy all the time and we want things to be perfect all the time, that we are reminded that the rain falls on the just and the unjust alike. That fulfillment is not what you created us for and it is not your will for us always to feel fulfilled but to be filled with you and to be faithful to you. And so, Father, I pray for those who are seeking fulfillment. I pray, Father, that they reorganize their life so that they might be faithful to you. Father, I pray that you help us to live holy and set-apart lives. We know that is your will. I pray that you make us a thankful people and that we are able to give thanks for every good thing we have. For our family, for our friends, for every dollar we make, for our homes, for our children, for our parents, for our grandparents. I pray, Father, as we sing, 
that we are filled with the Holy Spirit. I know that may but I pray, Father, that you move into, in this place and that you speak to us and that you draw us all closer to you so that we might know you better and that we might bear fruit. Let these words that we sing honor and glorify you because that's what you have called us to do. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.